Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Health Shift, the podcast that bridges the gap between conventional modalities and ancient healing for complete mind, body, and spirit well-being. I'm here to help you make a shift. And please note that these discussions are not medical advice, nor should they be used in place of medical assessments and treatments. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to welcome Kelly McCormick. Kelly has a Bachelor of Science in Management and an MBA. Her formal education provided a springboard from which a 30-year healing journey began. Boy, can I relate to that. (laughs) Finding herself with multiple illnesses in her late 20s, Kelly sought support through Eastern and Western practices. Recently, she embarked on an intensive five-year journey to discover how to create meaningfully in the world while overcoming the obstacles to living a fulfilling life. Her work focuses on a process she developed to support entrepreneurs as they create new solutions for humanity's challenges. Kelly wrote a three-book series called Creating a Leader to illuminate several of the healing aspects that bring our intentions to make greater positive impact in the world to fruition. I've known Kelly both personally and professionally for a number of years and know of her amazing creativity and commitment to her work. So I am so excited for today. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you very much, Julie. I was very excited to join you on this. Yes, yes. So tell us your story, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I think that's a really big question, but I'm going to take it in parts. I think as we go through the the time together, we'll probably add a part here and a part there. From the the sort of very uh, big picture view, I was just a, a kid who was born and raised in Brooklyn for a while. So that has its own story. It sure does. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you say that? Everybody just understands. (laughs) So uh, fast forward to coming into uh, Tennessee when I was nine. So the accent would be Cindy Lauper and uh, Dolly Parton get together and you smush them. And that was my (laughs) accent. So I think that is definitely part of my story. But If we fast forward even more than that, the last uh, 30 years have been quite a journey for me to understand from leaders in many different fields, how to go deep within to understand enough so that when you go without and into the world and you can actually create something, there's more there to create. There's Mm. there's more there with which to create. Um, There's more clarity. There's probably more... um, openness. So I think that is my story where I had to go through enough hardship, enough challenges all through my adult life to find myself really having to dig deep. Um, and, and that wasn't always easy. And in fact, that was very difficult for me at times. Mm, I can so relate. It's interesting. I, I do my walks with Eckhart Tolle in the morning and he was talking this morning about it's through our suffering that we awaken. So I can certainly relate. Yeah. yeah, And I feel like, uh, Julie, that's one of the things that's such a uh, part of our kinship is uh, that we both have been through a lot, but we both just keep, keep going through what we're going through and, and uh, hitting the challenges and becoming new, different, better, uh, challenged, whatever the, the, the adjectives, adverbs that we might use. I, I feel like we, we keep kind of falling forward in life no matter what shows up. Mm-hmm. Better to fall forward than backwards. <laughs> and I think sometimes I've done a little bit of both, but yeah. yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah, so the, the story really is one of coming through having maybe some challenges in my childhood and not even maybe, uh, quite a few challenges, um, definitely came from a good number of traumas in the background. Mm-hmm. And um, those early ones are the real killers. So for me, having a number of those in those early years, I didn't recognize until I was about 45 mm. what those were doing. And it was a conversation with my primary care, just sitting there one day saying, uh, her asking, have you ever looked at these sorts of things? And I said, no, <laughs> <laughs> I had done a lot of work that was more surface. I then understood, uh, and a lot, I'd spent tons of money, tons of time. I'd done my 10 day Vipassana meditation, um, stints in my twenties. I'd done, you know, so much of the hanging out on, uh, with, Native American tribes or spending time with um, different modalities from shiatsu to acupuncture to things I can't even say at this point. Uh, But I don't think I ever understood really what was happening in my life until I allowed the words to come out of my mouth to my primary care to say, nope, I've never opened the garbage can. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it might stink. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So, so that was it. That was an opening conversation with your primary care. That's amazing that your PCP even had that level of empathy, compassion, intuition to be able to follow through. So once that garbage can was open, tell us a little bit about, about moving forward. Yeah. So why it came up, I had a situation where uh, a decent sized life change occurred uh, from a work standpoint and soon to be from a, where I was living and that sort of thing standpoint. What I recognized was there were so many things I could do in this world. And I looked very capable. That was great on the surface. Mm. Uh, I was, was capable of doing these very big goals, medium sized, small goals, etc examples, you know, I wanted to run the New York marathon. I had some health challenges. I trained one time, wrapped up what seemed like it might fall off. (laughs) And I ran the New York marathon and certainly didn't set any world records, but you know, nothing fell off, which was very good. I was able to make an album of nine songs without having a singing or songwriting background. I did have a poetry background. And I even got to hear that. (laughs) Yes, last time you were in uh, Austin, where I live here. Yes. I was able to write the three books, even though my reading skills are are, uh, almost totally lacking. And I didn't realize until my mid-40s what was happening with that. Mm. Uh, And and it didn't actually affect my writing skills, uh, because I can actually write almost as fast as I can read, (laughs) which is an unusual talent, I guess, but maybe less unusual once you recognize that the uh, the reading challenges were there. And I was able to get to all seven continents, uh, you know, with just a reasonable goal, et cetera, et cetera. So I was always able to make pretty sizable goals, go do them. And that made it look like I was capable of doing anything. The biggest problem with that was I looked more capable than I was because I had deficits on the other side 
that were so significant, even in the smallest things in life. So it might be simply having a relationship with a friend and mm-hmm. just not knowing what to do at certain points of the relationship. Mm-hmm. There were deficits there that were significant enough to where my fulfillment, my meaning being put out into the world was so challenged that my frustration put me into a five-year, very intensive journey. When I say five years, I mean like hundred hour weeks of looking at neuroscience, psychology, medicine, spirituality, religion. And I pretty much went through every silo I could possibly find for that time period. Turned out to be, if you, if you calculate it out, you'd have to work about 12 and a half years full time to get the amount of time that I put into this journey. That's a level of frustration for somebody. I mean, I just hit a nice size brick wall. Mm-hmm. The fruit of that though, was made the whole previous 45 years worth because I was sitting there with, you know, enough frustration, enough losses, enough feeling like I was leaving on the table, meaning that should be put out in the world. And going through this process, I can understand, oh, we all have a human that has certain operations. (laughs) We have deficits, we have obstacles such as traumas, such as beliefs, or I call them filters, because I find it easier to think of them as like a filter on a camera. Mm -hmm. If I have a certain filter that keeps me from seeing the resources of the world or the empathy of somebody else, then I can't interact with the world well. So I started recognizing that resources and filters and traumas and all of this was changing the way that I can experience the world and move through the world. Because I was able to move through those and understand them, it changed my ability to interact with the world and put out um, not just these you know, goals that seemed fun, but probably didn't really edify me or much of anybody else. But now I was doing things that even on the smallest level where you know, a client was able to put in a one square foot garden, flower garden, that to me mm-hmm. was you know, worth anything on the side of what I was capable of uh, accomplishing prior to that. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. I can so relate to many of these things. And a lot of this does have to do with our, our again, our, our neuropsychological makeup and the traumas that we've hit and, and how that's impacted our ability to think, to feel, and to, again, put forth our gifts in the world, which is what it's, this is all about. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So tell us what is like working with your clients in groups, you know, in the world of leadership. Yeah. So I have a different definition of leadership. I was looking at everything from a perspective of how can we make it incredibly functional? So I do have a background in management with an MBA. I consider management taking the process that's already been developed and making sure that it's running appropriately. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, that's what I I consider you know, management in a corporation or management of a certain uh, area or folks or whatever. But leadership is a different animal. Leadership means that you have to look out and see what will happen. Mm-hmm. So I took that back to the most simple definition I could find, which is leadership is the power to create. Mm-hmm. Right? So and power implies that I have ability. It implies that I have the energy. It implies that I have the resources, or I can at least develop them in the process. 
And if I take leadership and I say it's just simply the power to create, you created that we came together here. Mm -hmm. That's a level of leadership. Part of what you're going to do after this is some of the management to make sure the production comes out. Mm -hmm. But in leadership, a lot of us think of this as, you know, leading another person, leading a group. And I think that's such a small part of this. It's important sometimes, because sometimes leadership doesn't include anybody else. If you're creating something, uh, the American Management Association came up with a definition that had five parts for leadership. And the two that I love, that I think are the most significant, don't even include leadership or leading other people, leading of people. They include shaping the future and then making it happen. Like envision the future and then make that come into being. Mm -hmm. And I think almost every aspect of a leader comes down to that. You can see it and then you can act upon it and make something exist in the world that didn't exist before you you were in the world. (laughs) Yeah. All of us need, um, need, literally deep down need to be able to put things out in the world that are meaningful to us. Whether we do it or not is a good question. Whether we, you know, whether we are healthy enough in our nervous system or we understand the process of doing that well enough. But I do believe that every human on this planet wants to have their thumbprint on the world in in a meaningful way. Oh, I so agree. And I feel that if we can um, empower people to do that, the rates of depression and anxiety would plummet. <laughs> you know, we might not have a mental health crisis any longer. Yeah, I so agree. I so agree. Yeah. Excellent. So I am very drawn to reading about, you know, engaging with groups and leadership people, consultants, and truly making a difference in the world uh, and not merely the capitalistic outcomes. Because the more that I'm reading about all of that, it's like, ooh, you know, that's, is that what the U.S. is really all about? So are there particular themes or challenges that you see with the folks that you're interacting with? I would say that there's two camps Mm -hmm. in general, and this is not going to, work perfectly as a label for each side. But I do see that the, the folks that have become uh, connected to themselves enough to be able to see meaning and put it out in the world are oftentimes not the folks that have the process to make it actually come to fruition. Mm, very true. Right? Then the folks that are really good at making stuff happen are not always connected enough to themselves to have it be meaningful. So it's almost like we need to either give this, you know, if we gave the skills to both sides, have a process so that those who are ready to put meaning in the world can put meaning and have a process so that those that are very effective at putting something out can get in touch with themselves and find meaning within themselves that then is meaningful for the rest of the world to experience or at least their portion of the world. I think those two are are a big step toward the healing that would be necessary through leadership development, if you will. And again, my definition of leadership is very simple and maybe a little bit different uh, from what most people would think of. In my definition, you've got two things. Are you able to create and do you have power? Mm -hmm. And if you have either one of those or both of them missing, 
you know part of your process to, to get to work to, to see the world change. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that if you've got this many people in the world, then if a portion of us were really looking inside and really seeing the world in new and, and um, caring and empathetic ways, then what would, what would happen, what would exist, what beauty would be there, what kindness would be there would change rapidly. Oh, I so agree. I, I remember, um, and you're probably familiar with this as well, but you know, Babson College back in Wellesley, Mass started spirituality and leadership, you know, probably 20 plus years ago. And I just remember thinking like, wow, this is just an amazing change to really bring both sides together, which is that analytical side that has to keep things going, but then also that creative side with empathy and compassion. So yes. I love it. I love it. And, and we can go to Harvard for the similar similar uh, practices. Yes. Cabot Zen, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about a day in the life of working with Kelly. It's It can be varied depending on, but I have a program that uh, folks go through. It's called the Inner Everest Expedition. So it's, it's a story. And the reason why I did that was most people going into training, they look at it as something you know, that they want to learn, at least on a logical level. They may embody it to some extent, but usually it's something that ends up on a shelf or just as a, a nice to have for a weekend or a weekday or that sort of thing. But what I wanted was to be able to allow people to open their nervous system and story helps with that. And if you can make it a story like Everest, it helps even more because Everest implies danger. It implies that there might be avalanches, there may be crevasses, there may be um, 200 mile an hour winds that come. And the equivalent of that exists in each one of my clients' lives mm. from a metaphoric standpoint. Mm-hmm. And every one of them end up you know, shaky as they go across the ladder of the crevasse. So the, the metaphor is lived out in a 40 day program where they'll meet with me live for a base camp. We walk through the steps of where they're going to go. They go through the steps on their own with my expertise and some other experts uh, on a daily basis. So let's say Monday through Friday, they might be like half an hour walking and hiking and pushing through the things that were stopping them. And by the time they get back to me the next couple of times, they're, they're, much more aware as a driver of what they want to create in life. Mm -hmm. And they're much more prepared to be the vehicle through which they will achieve the outcomes that they'd like to see as a driver. Mm, I love it. I love it. So part of it is really kind of clarifying their vision, but then also providing them some of the skill set, which I would imagine is going to be some of that, you know, increasing parasympathetic nervous system activity or what we call the relaxation response to move through here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I approach that in a way that we are always at least close enough to the, the parasympathetic. It's, it's a combination of sympathetic parasympathetic because when you are at your best, let's say flow um, or being in the zone, the front part of your brain is going to get quiet. Mm-hmm. So you actually need to be hiked up, and completely relaxed. 
Yes, true. All right, mm-hmm. and, and so you're 100% aware of what's going on. And for that reason, I wanted to create a, a whole process that allows you to go from what am I up to? What's mm-hmm. my big picture? But even before that, am I present? And in, I noticed that you ask about tips. So I'm actually gonna start bringing up tips now as I explain this, because I think, I think it's an important aspect of this. I have a process called uh, simple as zero, one, two, three. And the Mm. zero part is, are you in your driver's seat staying with the metaphor? Mm -hmm. And what that means is your life on autopilot with your bag of habits is going to go in a direction and it will end up someplace. Do you want to cause yourself a problem, a good problem (laughs) by deciding, sitting in your driver's seat and deciding that there is a different uh, outcome that you'd like to see in two months, six months, three years, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And in the example of the one square foot flower garden in the backyard, there could have been a point of no flower garden, but now we've created a problem called the gap of there is no flower garden. So now we have to figure out how do we go to a place that we weren't oriented toward in our (laughs) autopilot and make that happen. So you start by sitting in your driver's seat as a foundational zero step and then seeing that which you'd like to have as your destination. That would be step one. So you set the destination from a very clear and conscious and aware uh, standpoint. Then you're able to do step two, which this is what I see missing in the work, Eastern, Western, et cetera, as just a body that you really run into headfirst. And that is upgrade yourself as a vehicle Mm -hmm. as it relates to everything else. I think in Eastern practices, there's a lot of upgrading that happens, but it's oftentimes isolated, not necessarily related to what the outcome is. And so what what I see is that if I have a destination as a hockey player, I need to change myself as a vehicle a lot to get to that level of strength. But if I want to be a figure skater, I need to change how my muscles are structured, how I think, how I look at the world completely because those two individuals will be on ice skates Mm -hmm. but they are going to look so different based on their role their goals their outcomes so when i look at that deeper work i'm looking at humans having maybe not unlimited potential but some pretty significant potential so i oftentimes equate it to what are you up to Are you going for hockey player? Are you going for figure skater or whatever that is for yourself? Sure. You'll need to change everything about yourself toward that. Now, let's say next week, you want to be a basketball player instead. (laughs) Fine. Now you have to change everything about your human to get to that place. So I look at it all as, as relative. I wrote a poem in my second book called The Dancer and the Dance Are One. Mm-hmm. There is no sort of dance without the dancer. There's no dancer without the dance. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times work is done in an isolated uh, environment without relativity to what we're up to in life, without pulling in that sort of meaningfulness. And I think there are places for that. But if one wants to be a leader and wants to create in the world, I also believe that as step two, we might want to just take a look at ourselves and say, if this is my vision in step one. 
who do I need to become? How do I need to sculpt myself? How can I learn to use my nervous system in different ways? How can I change my filters so that they're not in my way? How can I clean out some of those traumas, right? And each one of these beautiful, meaningful outcomes allows you to become more and more purely yourself and more capable of adjusting to the, that which you feel like should exist in the world. I love it. I love it. And, you know, for me, when I, when I start to think about that, it's, uh, it's that whole idea of, again, cleaning out your system as well. So, you know, for me with a nutrition background, I start thinking about, okay, how do we clear out the junk so that we can not only have a finely tuned machine, but we can also think more clearly and we can feel more, uh, you know, more, more clearly as well. Yeah. And, and I know you've had circumstances in your life when you've done the same and, and you know that I've done that, that very mm-hmm. thing from a physical standpoint. In fact, I'm a woman in my early fifties, which means from a hormonal standpoint, I've just gone through a five-year experience of weight gain um, and then not being able to get everything balanced very well. So I had to go into an experience of, of how to, um, optimize my uh, abilities. And now I'm optimizing my athletic abilities, fortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, But it took a while before I could could come to grips with being a woman who had gone through her late 40s into her 50s. And, uh, you know, the body's not always responsive. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that cortisol is just going to scream a little louder than you want it to. And (laughs) I, I found that it took a long time before I could um, learn to be in sync with my body. And once I did, I, I feel like there's a little bit of a Benjamin Button movie going on right now, because I feel like I've gone from uh, my phone apps telling me I'm much older than I actually am to now it's going backwards <laughs> quite rapidly. And, and I can appreciate that. It, it's very humbling, especially when you know what to do, and then it doesn't seem to, to work. So I, I hear what you're saying, Julie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man, this is absolutely fascinating. So, so you've given us, I think, two, is there another tip that you have out of this uh, zero to three? Yes. So zero was, uh, you need to sit in your driver's seat. Number one is you have to set a destination. So am I going to the grocery store down the street or am I going out to California to see my friend, Julie? (laughs) But whatever it is, you need to set the destination. Number two, upgrade the vehicle. I'm not going to start out going toward uh, California without enough gas money and good tires and an engine that has fresh oil and all of that stuff. Same with our goals. But once you've done zero, one, two, Mm -hmm. number three is simply start driving. And then I always say preferably in flow. Mm, Yes. We can manage how well we get into flow. And I always talk about microdosing flow because there is a level of flow where you jumped out of that perfectly good airplane with that person um, attached to your back. This is 29th birthday for me. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a perfectly good airplane. And this gentleman, I said to him before we uh, jumped out of the plane, I said, I'm using this so I can get over my fear of heights. And he said, ma'am, you're about to get over your fear of altitude. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a lot more of a daredevil than me, that's for sure. <laughs> right? But that causes that level of flow where you're just almost out of your mind for like five minutes or an hour, and it might take two or three days to recover. What most people um, 
don't necessarily harness is that smaller level of flow where you just feel really good. Everything's cleared out. Your focus and attention are 100% on what you're doing. And in some cases, that's easy because we love to do X, but we can't stand to do Y. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do in, in this third step is clear out all of the things, including my filter that says, I don't like doing bookkeeping or I don't like doing whatever it is. I've been to a Zen monastery where if I pick up sticks, there is nothing exciting about that, but I can get into that Zen state Uh in almost no time. So what do I have to do to do that? That is different from my most exciting activity in my work versus my least favorite activity in my work. And I realized they're all the same. It's just what filters am I bringing to it? Mm. Mm-hmm. Now my ability to go into flow is more important to me than what I'm working on. It's just feels so good. And I can sit there and write three books in three to four months, get them uh, prepared for uh, publishing and still every day, just pour myself into the day in flow, microdosing flow, not just brain chemistry uh, at the highest levels. And I get through those, those weeks, give myself a break here and there just to make sure my brain chemistry is, is uh, keeping up and it's, it's doing what it needs to do. I find that to be one of the most satisfying, enjoyable, uh, Mihai Sheik sent Mihai who coined the, the term uh, flow, said it, it's an autotelic experience, meaning you love what you're doing so much, you really don't care that the result comes out. Yep. So you're sitting there not caring about the end result, but you get to it more readily, more quickly, uh, with more fulfillment, more satisfaction, just because you're so engaged and you're so appreciating what you're doing and your brain chemistry is on board the entire way. I love it. I love it. And, and there's so much discussion around flow in so many arenas these days. You know, last Sunday, I was asked to speak for a women's health group around the world. It was called Elementa. And they were asking me about microdosing, and that had to do more with psilocybin uh, in terms of, you know, the potential that some of these um, psychedelic medicines can bring us. You know, we're, we're getting close. We're not quite there yet in terms of FDA legalization. Um, but there's so many other ways. I'm, I'm testing out VR right now, visual reality, in terms of, again, how do we get ourselves into a state where we're in flow? And then there's also, um, you know, the uh, magnesium salts baths, you know, things like that that can be really beneficial. So this is wonderful, Kelly. You are right on point. So how do people get in touch with you? How can they learn about your books, your courses, all the things that you have to offer us? Yeah, I have a website, Eximai. E-X-I-M-A-E mm-hmm. dot com. And it's Latin for climb, as in the Inner Everest Expedition. Uh-huh. So if, they, if they go on the website, they'll be able to find out more about uh, what we're up to and um, certainly reach out. Awesome. This is wonderful. This has been so wonderful today to have you on board. And I thank you so much. And if you folks like this podcast, please rate, review, and share with your friends, your family, your coworkers. I'm on a mission to change the current paradigm of healthcare and mental health care. And you can find me at juliefreeman.net, at Instagram on Julie Freeman Mindful Wellness, and on Functional Medicine La Jolla on YouTube. Until next time. <laughs>